Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Picking it up where Joshua is reading for us. Uh, Verse 24. We'll be doing four parables this week and four parables next week. They're just too rich. Um, Pastor Chuck, before I read, it's always a mystery to me. He says, don't even think about teaching through the parables unless you've been around for 20 or 30 years. And um, that's because most um, Bible commentators do not have a correct description or perception of what is really being taught in the parables. And we'll try to straighten that out as we make our way through this morning. But our text begins with verse 24. I've entitled this, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. Another parable he put forth to them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted up and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. And so the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Well, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he answered, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you will also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. The four parables, as we consider the parables, and we make our way through the Bible, I always want to be able to connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. And even in the parables, we have prophecy that's being fulfilled. So... The parables are actually prophecies that are being fulfilled. As we look at um, the parable of the sower, which will be our first one that we we study today, um, we find, uh, well, let's read the first uh, nine verses and I'll come back and comment on the, the parable of the sower will be our first one that we, we tackle this morning. So chapter 13, verse 1. Now on the same day Jesus went out of the house, <clears throat> sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered together to him. And so he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, And he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. Some fell in stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth, and they withered because of no depth of earth. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground. And yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what is being said. Now, parables are really meant to conceal and not so much to reveal. 
If you look at verses 16 and 17, he's separating those that he's giving the message or the parable to, but now he's going to explain to his disciples in verse 16 and 17, they're not going to get it. It's going to go right over their head. So he says in verse 16, um, well, first of all, I want to go to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 14 and show you that this parable and the parables are indeed prophecies that in hearing they will not understand and seeing will see and not perceive. For the heart of the people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, so that I would heal them. Now, to make this connection, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here Isaiah, very shortly after seeing the Lord, (laughs) what an incredible thing, because he actually saw the Lord high and lifted up on, on his throne, and the angels crying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory. And Isaiah pretty much melts, and he realizes just what a sinful man he is. And I, I believe that humility is something he cannot muster up. And I believe man is basically proud until he's in the presence of God. Now he's in the presence of God, and what does he say? Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell with unclean people. And it's right after this encounter that he says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And then he said, now in verse 9, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Uh, Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Now go back to Matthew chapter 12. The first parable of the sower, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you this because it's going to fulfill the charge that he gives to Isaiah to be sent out. But even though he's sending them out, he's basically saying they're not going to get it. And here he quotes... um, in verse 14 and 15, and we often hear, well, the parables were given to illustrate a spiritual truth. And the fact of the matter is, that's true to those who are born of the Spirit. Doesn't the Bible say the carnal man, the man who is not born again, cannot understand? It's foolishness to them. But what does he say to the disciples in verse 16 and 17? But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. Now we just read the parable of the sower, but the ones that he was teaching, except for the disciples, had no clue what he was talking about. There will be people here this morning, Some will understand. 
Some watching live stream will understand. There will be those here this morning who don't understand. Because you have to be born of the Spirit in order to understand spiritual truth. Good place for an amen. Amen. And that's going to be the main point here. So what we have in the first nine verses of Matthew 13, we're going to learn later in Luke's gospel, we have seed being sown. We don't do that too much these days. It's done by a machine. But in the old days, they did it with a sack, and they'd throw it out like that. So imagine sowing seed, and it falls on four different kinds of ground, And it's going to have four different kinds of effect on the ground. Well, the interpretation is going to be given to us in verse 18 where he says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. But before we go there, let's see what the Lord is talking about. He said in verse uh, 3, A sower went out to sow seed, and some of the seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Well, that's not hard to picture in your mind. Um, it's, it's laying right on the ground. I just planted some some grass seed, and I tried to dig it in because I know some birds were going to come and <laughs> steal it if they could. And um, basically, the first person that we have here, um, he didn't have a chance. Uh, the bird came and ate it. The seed is the word of God. And uh, it was immediately taken. That's person number one. We'll get into the interpretation later. Uh, Number two, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because they had no depth. We have this terminology as Christians. Uh, We tell a person when they come to Christ, it's really important that you get rooted and grounded. Well, that's where this comes from. It comes from the parable of the sower. Now, if you're not rooted and grounded, it, it tells us in First Peter, desire the pure milk of the word. What do you feed a baby Christian? Milk. What do you feed a baby when he's born? Milk. Desire the Bible. Desire the pure milk of the word of God so that you might grow thereby. Well, this one was not rooted and grounded. And um, we're told that it had no depth. And in verse 6, when the sun um, sprung up, they were scorched because there was no root, and it withered away. There was no depth to their walk with the Lord. It was only walking with the Lord for a period of time. All right, and some fell among thorns and, and sprung up and choked them. That's the third one, ground. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundred and some 60, and some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So then he quotes that this is a prophecy from Isaiah that they're not going to understand, but then he tells his disciples, but you guys are blessed because you have ears and you are going to understand and you have eyes and you are going to see. Now we're going to have the interpretation. That's only given to the disciples, picking it up in verse 18. He says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is he who received by the wayside. Whenever I get the privilege of 
praying with somebody, to receive the Lord. I tell them, you know what? Angels are rejoicing right now. That's true. You know what else? Your name is now in the book of life. Angels really are rejoicing. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. You now have two natures. One that's going to seek after the things of God and your flesh that despises the things of God. So from this point on, you're in for a war. It goes on 24-7, it never lets up, and it begins right here, right now. And I can give you a lot of different illustrations on how that might be. Could be a husband, um, married for 20 years or so, and he, um, he gets saved. Comes home and he says, honey, I, I got born again today. She says, you became one of those holy rollers? If you think I'm changing my life for you, you're crazy. So you got an ultimatum, buddy. Uh, what's it going to be? You're Jesus or me? And an ultimatum is given. It could take on that form. And what, whatever form it, the enemy uses, the point is clear. That the seed is taken away, and as I, I look at this particular parable this morning, we find that this one person is not saved. The seed was planted but it was immediately taken away. And so now we have the first person and um, he will not be saved. The second one in verses 20 and 21, but he who received the seed on the stony place, this is he who hears the word and he immediately receives it with joy. Well, this is too good to be true. I mean, I'm not saved by my works. It's a free gift of God and it's God's grace. Really? That's wonderful. And he receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself who endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, he immediately stumbles. Um, He endures for a while. Just think this through with me. First of all, he hears it. He's excited. (laughs) He's full of joy. And he actually walks with the Lord for a while. My question, how long is a while? And more importantly, is he saved during the time that he received the word with joy and walked with the Lord for a while? What's your answer? Yes or no? Was he saved during that period of time? Or was he not saved during that period of time? I think the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But remember I mentioned spiritual warfare? This is going to cause some theological problems with some. Because the implication is you can actually backslide as a Christian. And that's what happened to this person. Everything was fine until he goes through a couple of trials. <laughs> and he, said, he thinks to himself, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know that there was going to be difficulty. I didn't know my friends were going to leave me. I didn't know my boss was going to give me a hard time at work. And he says, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. And he actually backslides. I can show you the big little word in the Bible that fits in here is if. If you continue, if you endure, if you overcome. And the implications of that little word if, or in Revelation 2, where the Lord says to the church, I think it was Ephesus, 
Then he says, if you overcome, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. Why tell us that unless it was possible? All right, I know I got a lot of you thinking right now, but I, I need to keep going with, with this. Was this person saved? I absolutely believe this person was saved. Did he go through a trial because of temptation and backslide? Yeah. Does everybody here not know somebody who's backslidden who once walked with Jesus? I know lots of people. Are they going to be saved on the day of judgment? I don't believe so. And I know that's opening up a big can of worms, but that's what I believe the scriptures teach. And I think this is one of the, the, the chief texts that go along with it. Well, let's go on to the next one because we sort of see a progression here. The next one in verse 23 or 22, now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, here is a person who hears the word, and I believe he's saved. Unfortunately, we're American Christians, and whenever we traveled with with um, <laughs> um, Russ, he says, you know, Dwight, they won't invite me back to churches anymore. They'll have me there once. And he says, 2%. I says, he, he'd use that over and over during our couple days with him. He said, 2% will ask me to come back. Because he believes in a young earth. And he believes in a worldwide flood. And he believes in a whole council of God. And he will not compromise with it. And as a result, they don't want to see him anymore. So I took the microphone and I said, well, gang, how does it feel to be among the 2%? Because <laughs> that's what we are. We're among the 2%. We need to understand that the megachurches of today have to compromise to have their megachurches. And if you're not going to compromise, you're going to be not asked back again. But why are we surprised? Doesn't Second Thessalonians tell us that in the last days there will be a falling away? Some churches are gathering and praying for revival. I'd love to see there be revival. But that's not what the Bible teaches in the last days. It talks about a falling away. The Lord says, when I come back again, will I find faith on the earth? Christianity is not the fastest growing religion in the world today. Islam is. And you guys know that. I don't need to tell you that. And we see this our world spiraling worse and worse. It's not getting better and better. Dominionism, or kingdom now theology, teaches that we are going to evangelize the world and make it such a great place then and only then Will the Lord return? And I think to myself, what planet are you guys living on? (laughs) And I'll just look around. That's not the way our world is today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. This person, I believe, is saved. Having said that, 1 Corinthians 3 is a judgment seat of Christ, not to be confused with the great white throne judgment. It is not a place where your sins will be judged. It's not a place where you'll ever be put to shame. It's also referred to as the Bema Seat Judgment, like the Olympics. You run your race. And how did you finish your race? Well, everybody gets some sort of reward. So Paul says, run to win. Now let's look at this one person. Is he saved? Yeah. But he got caught up with the cares and riches of this life. 
in the in the parable, the Lord talked about thorns and thistles. Don't they tell you that you shouldn't plant your garden till Memorial Day weekend? And then after that, what do you have to do? Keep it weeded. <laughs> uh, keep fertilizing it. What happens if you don't weed it? Well, it'll grow off and it'll choke off your fruit. So that's the picture. And now, here is a person that is definitely saved. No if, ands, and buts about it. But instead of seeking first the kingdom, he sought first his kingdom. And the cares and the riches of this world choked off any good fruit. He's actually referred to here in verses 11 through 15, where Paul is talking about our judgment day as Christians. We're all going to be judged, but not in a way that you think. Remember Matthew 7, 7, judge and you won't be judged. That really deals with, um, um, I'm looking at Tim, you know, I can't judge Tim's heart. Uh, He can't judge mine, only God can. Okay, Tim, why did you do that? Uh, He's not talking to me right now, I can tell. (laughs) Because we do things, and if we do it with a wrong motive, remember the Lord says, don't let your, your right hand know what your left hand is doing? But when you do a good deed, do it in secret, because your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But if you do it before men, okay, you got your reward. Everybody saw you do it. Good job. Pat on the back. Well, you just lost your reward. (laughs) Here, in verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on his foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work, this is your work and service for the Lord, will become manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Now this is that person that Jesus is referring to. His works will all be burned up because they were all worldly works. It was his kingdom. But he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. So here is a man who goes to heaven because he believed the gospel, but he really didn't live for the Lord. And here, uh, it tells us he will be saved, so he's going to be saved, and yet as though through fire. And um, let's go back to the last one and tie all these together. And here's where we find out that the seed is the word of God and that the ground is the heart and how we respond to it. Verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The ground is the heart. Last week, Judy wanted to know how long we were going to be in the, the parables, and I told her a couple of weeks. And she says, what's the deal with the hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? And I thought, well, let me explain it this way to you. We had just had lunch with um, uh, John and Shauna Higgins. We were at Calvary Chapel, Tempe, that Sunday. So we, w- we always go out for lunch. And I said, well, John's the guy with the hundredfold. A lot of people don't know this, but Pastor Chuck sent him out 
during the beginning of the Jesus movement, when the communal houses first started, uh, Pastor Chuck actually sent John to start the first communal home, reaching out to the hippies. And it was called the House of Miracles, and it was the very first one. John went on from there, where we had a Bible school in Oregon that I had a privilege to go to. But between 1968 and 1978, we had these communal houses in every state in the country, including Alaska, including the Virgin Islands, including Hawaii. I really wondered about the motive of those who were called to Hawaii. (laughs) Now, 10 years, 68 to 78, 100,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It transformed our culture in a way. It saved a generation. It is documented as one of the true revivals of our generation. So I said, honey, the hundredfold is John. He's got a lot of fruit in heaven because he was overseeing this whole thing. I might be the 30 or the 20 or somewhere in between because we've both served the Lord just as many years. But the amount of fruit and the result, I, uh, I think that's the understanding here. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. I won't know until the judgment seat of Christ what was gold, precious stones, and what was wood, hay, and stubble. But I can promise you this. The guy that's in heaven that has no fruit, do you think he's going to have fullness of joy? you think he's going to have pleasures at the right hand of the Father forever and ever? Answer to that is, absolutely yes. But some people's Ball is going to be bigger than the others. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be grateful. Daniel chapter 12, it says, Those that lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. There's no greater joy than to have somebody come up to you and say, You know what? It was because of you that I became a Christian. And uh, imagine having 100,000 people saying that to John. (laughs) Now, that's what I believe that these scriptures mean here. And that they're all saved, even the one that had no fruit. He's going to have fullness of joy. Why? No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. And in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. That is the parable of the sower. Let's move on to the wheat and the tares. We've already read it as our text this morning And the idea of the wheat and the tares, um, I'm going to go back to verse, my notes of one here. The parables of Matthew 13 actually explain um, the work of the church during the church age, Jesus' ministry. But also, the parables explain Satan's plan and purpose through false religion spiritual warfare to undermine and introduce counterfeits to the true gospel. And so the Lord explained it with wheat and tares. Now wheat is edible. We make bread out of it. Tares look like wheat, but it's good for nothing. It's like straw. So we've already read, let's read it again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. 
But while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so now we got real wheat and tares growing together. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How come there's tares there? And he said, An enemy has done that. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he says, No. Let them, uh, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in in bundles to burn, but gather the wheat into um, the barn. Now, here we have, uh, I need you to have the interpretation, and that we pick up down in verse 36. So let's go down to 36 to 43. Now he's explaining it to his disciples. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Lord, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Just keep your finger here and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. But we're going to come right back. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. Jesus says, I'm the one who's bringing good seed. Well, we already know that the seed is the word of God because of the previous parable. So we read in verse 1, what is the seed that Jesus is sowing? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you, there it is, the word if, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, and here's the gospel, um, that which I received, that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then the twelve, and then after that by over 500 people. Let's go back to verse 37 of chapter 13. What did the Son of God sow? The gospel, we call it the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He fully explained the gospel um, and who they are. And he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way. No man can come to the Father except he comes through me. (laughs) You say, Dwight, that's being pretty narrow-minded. Yeah, exactly. That's why Jesus said, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and many be that find it. But narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life, and few be that find it. And then in verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. In other words, we've got two different things going on all at the same time. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered 
and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be, this is very descriptive, and I want to read it slowly for sake of impact. There will be wailing. You ever hear somebody wail? There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, just like I quoted from Daniel 12, like the stars forever. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Huh. What did he tell Isaiah? Go out and preach it, but not everybody's going to understand. Not everybody's going to hear. They're going to be dull of hearing, and they won't understand what this whole thing called life is really all about. So now we have the Lord saying, all right, let these continue. Tares look like wheat, but they're counterfeits. Give you an example of a counterfeit. Mormonism is another gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jehovah Witnesses are tares. I could go on and on for the next hour. And some of you are thinking, Dwight, you could go on and on all day. (laughs) Any religion, any belief outside the true gospel of Jesus Christ are tares. And in the society that we live today, it is becoming more and more politically incorrect just to simply preach the truth. Good place for an amen. We want to be broad and open and inviting, seeker-sensitive. Let's not offend anybody by saying that we are the only ones that are right and everybody else is wrong. Well, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he makes it clear the outcome of each. Turn with me to Revelation 20. Revelation 20 is at the end of the seven-year, I mean, at the end of the kingdom age. So we have a thousand years of righteousness upon the earth. And after the thousand years, the Lord's going to allow the devil to once again go out and deceive the nations of the world. And then we have another judgment. This isn't the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne judgment. And when it says the angels are going to go out and gather them all and bring them to this place, that's what he's referring to here, picking it up in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened according to which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead. Well, now we know that angels were involved with somehow gathering them to this place. And delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Now, gang, the last thing I want is to be judged by my works. Good place for an amen. (laughs) Because, as Paul said, my flesh is so tricky, I don't even trust it. I don't even judge myself. My flesh is so tricky. I leave that up to the Lord. He'll be able to sort it out. What's good, what's bad, what's sweet, what's stubble, what's remaining fruit. 
None of these people here are saved. And they're going to be judged by every word they ever spoke, ever thought, they ever thunk, (laughs) every deed they ever done. Uh, Those things you sure you got away with. No, they're all written down. And you'll have your day in court. Jesus put it in parable form. The wheat are those that are going to shine with him forever. But the tares, they're good for nothing. They're going to be gathered up and burned. That's what this is right here. It says, then Hades, verse 14, and uh, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who is not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There are those who would like to believe there is no hell. The Bible is so clear um, about the reality of hell. Jesus spoke about it more than anyone else. Let's go on to the parable um, of the of the leaven, which I'll take a little bit more time explaining on this one. So back to chapter thirteen, verse thirty-three. <clears throat> Another parable he spoke to them. I'm going to come back to the mustard seeds. So don't worry. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Now, most commentators, and some taters are more common than other taters. I just thought I'd throw that in and see if you're still listening here. But if you have your favorite commentator and you're studying it as a study help, most of them will explain that the leaven put in three measures of the meal or the lump of dough is actually the gospel uh, going and growing throughout the entire world. And that's why Chuck would often say, be careful how you interpret the parables because it's not what you think. Leaven, without exception, is always used in the negative and not in the positive. Leaven and a lump of dough is fermenting the dough so it'll rise. Fermentation implies a process of corruption. And to follow up on this, I'm going to have you just turn to a couple places. Just turn, turn a couple pages to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll look at verses 5 and 6. And when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we've taken no bread? What he was referring to was their doctrine. Something has gotten into the church that is fermenting it and it's rotting it. It's not the gospel going into the world, it's the world coming into the lump, and therefore fermentation and a corruption is taking place that was never supposed to be. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And while you're doing that, I'm going to quote Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Galatians 5 said this, verse 7 through 10. He says, you ran well. 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persecution does not come from him who calls you. And then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, here was the setting. Uh, In the church uh, in Corinth, by the way, Corinth was really an ungodly place, and um, they had sexual immorality as their primary problem. But here we're told in verse 1 that there's a guy in the church that has a man and his father's wife. And he says, even the Gentiles don't do that. Now Paul says, they didn't, and everybody knew about it, but everybody's kind of walking around on eggshells, not wanting to rock the boat. And Paul says, look, I'm not there, but I'm writing this to you. This is what, you, this is what I want you to do. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, what is that telling us? Here it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, what they were doing is called adultery or incest or fornication. And it was going on in the church. And Paul says, don't be deceived if you're living that as a lifestyle. Let me clarify here. I'm not talking about what King David did with Bathsheba. That was a one-time shot. He repented of it and God forgave him. This was an ongoing situation in the church. The guy thought everything was cool and fine. But Paul says the best and most loving thing you can do is kick him out. And then pray for him. Pray that the world will work him over to the point where he repents so that his soul can be saved, implying what? He was deceived by thinking he was saved. And yet he was in the pew and thought everything was fine. No, it's not. And then he says, your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump? He said this one guy's attitude that everybody knew about is going to permeate the whole church and they're going to begin to think, no big deal. We're living in a society that isn't this what everybody is, is, is doing today? Well, that's just this week. Pope says God made gay people. And uh, this is just cutting-edge stuff that shows you the times in which we live. I can't read the whole paragraph. Uh, Juan Carlos was told by the Pope that you're a gay. That doesn't matter. God made you like that, and he loves you uh, like that. And I, and I don't care. The Pope wants you like that. You have to be happy with who you are. There should be a whole lot of gasping going on around here. And... Um, let me challenge you. If you really love um, your Catholic friends, I would say to them, don't you think it's time? I mean, how, how many times it, before it was there is no hell, then there is hell? And they sort of got his hand up. And what do people want to hear? Well, what they want to hear is what I just read. All roads lead to Rome. And as we see the dumbing down of the gospel and the compromise, and now coming from Pope Francis himself, he says, well, so make way God made you, you might as well be happy about it. Well, here's my problem. 
the book of Leviticus, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that talks about that this is a sin and don't be deceived and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Not popular, is it? Especially in the days in which you live. But you know what? It's true. And Paul, not even be there, says, look, I'm not there. You love this guy? Kick him out. And hopefully he'll get saved. Well, guess what? When you read 2 Corinthians, the guy repented. He says, man, I was blowing it, and I should have been doing what I'm doing. I'm sorry. And now Paul writes to the church, and he says, listen, this guy repented. And I'm writing to you now, and I don't want him treated like a second-class Christian. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9? And such were some of you. (laughs) We had a bus driver. Uh, uh, really liked this guy. His name was Mike. And I was complimenting him. And he says, well, that's because you never saw my dark side. And I said, I could outdo your dark side any day of the week. (laughs) And I was talking to BC, of course, and he's trying to figure all this out. But... um, I'm, I'm still trying to track him down and find him. Uh, he's just such a nice guy, but as nice as he was, he wasn't saved. And uh, so I want to follow up on him. My friends, everybody sitting here knows somebody that's living the alternative lifestyle. If you love me, you'll tell them the truth. Yeah, but they're going to get mad at me and they won't talk to me again, so what? And um, did not the Lord tell us that if we follow this, that the world would hate you just as it hated him. Good place for an amen. Amen. All right, let's finish it up. The last one is um, what we have here is the progress of the church in history. We have distorted doctrine. We have greed. We have pride. We have worldly desires. That is leaven that has come in. And it's not positive. It's, It's negative. The last one is the parable of the mustard seed. So let's go back to, oh, verse 31 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herb and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and the nest in its branches. Now here, we're not told the explanation to, that we get with the sower and with the tares. So now we have a mustard seed that grows into a tree. That is not natural. Mustard seeds do not grow into a tree. And then on top of it, once the t- it's there, what we have in the tree are birds. So what's the meaning? All right, I'm going to throw a big word out at you. Expositional constancy. It's a theological term that when it comes to the study of the parables, basically it's saying if a bird is demonic in one of the parables, and it's explained as such, and you read about a bird in another parable, like the one I just read with the mustard seed, and it's not explained expositional constancy simply is telling us it means the same thing. So the bird in the parable of the sower was the devil, remember? So now we have a picture. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Well, 
what we have here is unnatural growth. I look at the mega churches today, and one of the reasons they're mega churches is they they like the people to feel comfortable. The largest one in the country, forty eight thousand people, Joel Osteen was called on and he says, you don't talk too much about sin, do you? He says, you know, I really want to encourage the people on Sunday morning so that when they leave, they they can go out refreshed and really have some gusto for the coming week. Well, you might go out feeling good, but you might go out with a completely warped understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. Another good place for an amen. Uncomfortable one. Unnatural growth. It comes because of compromise with this book. Remember, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. Jesus said that? Yeah. He says, as a matter of fact, it's going to be in your own family. That's where it's going to hit the hardest. There will be those who are for me. Those will be against me. Who's doing it? The word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts. And it doesn't always tell us what we want to hear but it always tells us what we need to hear. And that's what the Lord was always doing. And so what we have here is birds in a tree. We have something that we'll call the church. The average Calvary Chapel worldwide is a couple hundred people. Yeah, there's some big ones, but it's the exception to be a megachurch in the Calvary Chapel movement. It's like Russ was saying. He can't get invited back to another place because he won't compromise with this book. They simply don't want to hear it. Thing is, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> and so we find, um, using the principle of expositional constancy, the birds not explained here is actually um, things that have crept into the church, like birds, and they're actually having supernatural things going on in these churches. Jesus said in Matthew 24, four times, the disciples came and said, Lord, tell us what it's going to be like in the last days. Four times he says this, don't be deceived. Because there's going to be false Christ, false prophets, false teaching, false religion, and that's going to be the thing that's prominent in the last generation. So what do, who are the birds? Well, those who bring in teachings like being slain in the spirit. Holy laughter, barking like dogs, not be able to control themselves. I just couldn't help it. The spirit just took over and it just threw me right on the ground. First Corinthians 14 verse 32 says that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Well, what does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit is never going to override your free will. And it's not going to make you do something that you don't want to happen. But Dwight is happening. I've seen it happen. Yeah, birds in the church. The, the miracles that Moses performed were not Janus and Jambri able to duplicate them? Don't you think that, that the enemy of our soul is cunning and wise enough to understand how to corrupt and pollute a congregation or a church simply by getting away uh, from from this book. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That's in 1 Corinthians 14. 
And then to sum it all up, he says, when you have a church service, make sure that the last verse of 1 Corinthians 14 says, let all things be done decently and in order. So how do we do things here? Well, we come up and read a psalm in the morning. Come up and we have an opening song of worship. And we have uh, a time where we just sit down for an hour and we go through the entire Bible. Picking out things that you may not want to hear. And this is, this is one of the great things about teaching through all of the Bible. You get to hear stuff you really like and then you get to hear stuff you really don't like. But... Don't you want to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel? So from God's perspective, you get the big picture. Uh, Wheat and tares, every time the gospel is presented, what happens? The gospel was presented this morning. We read 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He appeared to Peter and then to 500. And anybody who believes the gospel, the only way, will have eternal life. And th- that is the, the undiluted, uh, pure gospel. And any other teaching than that, you've learned this morning that the Bible calls them tares. Looks like the real deal. They'll say Jesus' name every once in a while. But it's not the gospel. They're tares. Is another gospel. Well, what a blessing this Memorial Day weekend to say, I have ears to hear and eyes to see. I have a question for you, and before I let you go, did you understand the morning's Bible study? In your own heart, I'm not looking for a raise of hands or not. If you did not, I really encourage you, as the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. It's too valuable. And you have so many things in the world today to bide for your time. Don't be the guy that just makes it in with nothing. You know, make your life count for something. Do anything in, in the name of Jesus. I could tell that story, Lord. If I tell that story, I'll lose my reward. Okay, I'll tell it anyway. Oh, I don't want to. I'm going to tell you anyway, as a, just as a closer. And please don't see it as, as bragging or anything like that, because it's not. But in where I walked every day in Apache Junction, there's homeless people all over the place. It'll rip your heart out. And I was getting some gas, and I was pulling out of a gas station. Here was a guy in a winter coat. And it's 95 degrees. Beard down to here, raggy, shaggy hair. And he was limping. And I knew he was homeless. And all I could think of was a good Samaritan. And the other verse that I was thinking about, if you see your brother in need and you don't help him, how does the love of Christ dwell in you? And so I'm thinking this. I said, well, Lord, I don't have no choice with this one. I said, hey, want a ride? And he, he didn't believe I was really asking him for one. And uh, he says, yeah, I'll take a ride. Well, he got in the car, and I could smell him for a week later after he got out of the car. <laughs> and I knew he didn't have any money. I says, you have any money? I, I wonder if I thought I was going to rob him or not. <laughs> and he said, no. So I slipped him a 20. Now everybody knows. I just lost my treasure.
But I do it for a reason. If it encourages you to invest in a way to make your life count for something. And you see that guy or you see that person. And it's in your power to do something about it. Even if they're messed up in a cult or Mormonism or just false doctrine or weird stuff, love them enough to tell the truth. And it'll go to your account. The Bible says, even if you give a glass of water in my name, it says you will in no lies lose your reward. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray for that homeless guy, Lord. And um, so many people today that we have so much. And we're so grateful this Memorial Day weekend. As we have family and friends and brats and plenty to eat and plenty to wear. Help us not take it for granted, but be grateful. Or as we study the, the parables this week and next week. Again, we are so grateful that you've opened our eyes and you've given us ears to hear that we actually understand what we've read this morning. But my prayer, Jesus, is for the one who has not been born again. You told Nicodemus in order to understand he had to be born again. And I pray for that one this morning that understands the simple gospel that we're saved by faith through grace and that only that they would open up their heart and receive you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.